Welcome to the South Elkhorn Christian Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the weekly messages. For bulletin material, reflection guides, and other resources, visit southelkhorncc.org. With you, and I do hope that you brought your Bibles with you this morning. Perhaps that was on your phone. Perhaps it's a hard copy version of the Bible. But I do want to encourage you to bring your Bible and open your book. As a New Testament professor once told me, "Don't trust me. Look, open your book. Open your book." The sermon this morning is entitled "Disciples." Open your book, and the scripture reading comes from Deuteronomy six one through nine. Uh, The sermon was meant to be part two in a five-part series exploring some of the distinctive features of the disciples of Christ. And I don't mean little d disciples. That's all of us who by faith in Christ become students of God's love as lived and taught by Jesus. He called his disciples, he called his followers disciples. No, I mean big D disciples, capital D disciples, the people who make up the movement that would eventually, even if reluctantly, become a denomination. You'll know these people by the red cup with a white chalice. Um, Well, excuse me, a red cup with a white X. Uh, That cup is called a chalice. And you might have noticed that symbol on the front of South Elkhorn's building, the Christian Ministry Center on the front side of it is a big red cup with a white X. Or perhaps you noticed the symbol uh, on the bulletin this morning. Or maybe you noticed it on Allison's mask. Yes, beautiful mask, a nice disciple's mask this morning. Or perhaps on my stole on my stole this morning, a red cup with a white X. And for the record, just for the record, no, the white X on the red cup does not mean we will excommunicate you if you drink alcohol. Though we do want you, we do, I want to know, we do want you to be responsible if you do imbibe. And I can see, I can see how that red cup and white X might, might just be a little confusing. I mean, what, what does it mean? Well, the red cup stands for the weekly practice of communion that defines us as disciples that we do each Sunday when we show up for worship. And I'll have a bit more to say about communion in a sermon to come. The white X, if you're wondering, is from the Scottish flag and reminds us of those first leaders of our movement who came from Scotland to the U.S. looking for more unity and less dogma, looking for more freedom to think and interpret and fewer barriers to the table of God's forgiveness and love. In short, looking for a different way to be church. You see, I'm convinced that what is best about our movement, our history as disciples, is what our rightly skeptical, tragically wounded, frustratingly divided, truly grieving, still uncertain, and spiritually seeking world is really looking for and needs. What our world needs is a faith that doesn't reject science, or philosophy, or new understanding, but instead celebrates the mind that God gave us and encourages us to use it honestly and earnestly in the service of love. What our world needs is a faith willing to put aside ideas and practices that exclude, demean, and demoralize, and a faith that works instead to include and build a unity on what matters most. What our world needs most is a table that is extravagantly welcoming to all God's children and all the diversity, complexity, woundedness, and wonderful giftedness that God's children embody. What the world needs is a church that loves like Jesus loves. This morning, we're focusing in on the role of Scripture in our faith. What is the Bible and what is it meant for? 
And here again, I think the disciples have something to offer a world that has been bruised and beaten down by the Bible one too many times instead of inspired by it and loved truly through it. So as the sermon title suggests, I invite you to open up your books. Open your books, that is your Bibles, your Bibles, whatever book you brought. Hopefully the Bible is one of them. And I invite you to open that up and listen in as I read from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, toward the front of your Bibles, reading verses 1 through 9. Now this is the commandment. The statutes and the ordinances that the Lord your God charged me to teach you to observe in the land that you are about to cross into and occupy. So that you and your children and your children's children may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life and keep all his decrees and his commandments that I am commanding you. So that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe them diligently so that it may go well with you and so that you may multiply greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might or muchness, everything else that you have. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you're at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, did you catch it? Right there in the middle of this passage is something tremendously transformative. The word love. Now, I'll be the first, honestly, I'll be the first to roll my eyes at a preacher who invokes or fastens in on love. I mean, haven't we heard enough sermons on this well-worn and seemingly well-worn out word? Maybe. But maybe because, that's because we haven't let it surprise us anymore. We haven't let it work us over and remake us. Maybe it's because we haven't let it be our guide when opening up the wild and wondrous world of Scripture and trying to sort through all its sometimes bewildering, other times brutal, yet still somehow beautiful reality. You see that word love right there in the middle of that passage? That should surprise us. We should expect, and we read about in many other places, fear of God, awe for God, respect and reverence for God. Those are all words, attitudes, and ideas shown to powerful figures like kings and gods. But love? That's different. To write about a love for God suggests there is a loveliness to God. Something better than brute power to be feared or a position to be revered, but rather something intrinsically, undeniably good. And this verse, Hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might, is called the Shema and is recited, sung, prayed, and celebrated in the Jewish faith. It is the bedrock, the core, the key, so much so that what does Jesus quote when asked what the greatest commandment is? He quotes this verse and then says, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus takes up the trajectory of love love inscribed in this command and grows his whole ministry around it. 
He takes it as the key to interpreting the world around him, his own understanding of God, the spiritual journey of each person, and the framework of that community called the kingdom of God. What did Jesus say to his disciples in the upper room in John's gospel? Love one another as I have loved you. And this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples. Big D, and I think, excuse me, little D, and I think big D as well. By your love. This is how the world will, everyone will know you are my disciples. By your love. And it was this love that shone in the crucifixion and the resurrection, in the witness of the early church, like in 1 John, where we read, whoever does not know love does not know God, for God is love. And in this, I think we can agree. But here's the problem. Too often love is to become one idea among many that we are to find from the scriptures and use rather than the spiritual reality we become and the very key to interpreting scripture itself. Let me say it differently. Love, is, love isn't just what the stories of God inspire us to do. Love is the way we read and wrestle with scripture. And here I am leaning on that great early church leader from North Africa, St. Augustine. If an interpretation of scripture does not build up the love of God and love for one another, then it is wrong. It is an unfaithful reading of the text. The Bible is not a weapon to make us right. It is a gift to build up love. But the Bible, again, I think most of us can agree, has been used as a weapon. Even in this passage from Deuteronomy with the Israelites preparing to enter the land of Canaan, we see verses that could be used and have been used to justify violent conquest of other people and other lands. We hear verses that have given religious cover to the impulses of empire and exploitation. And in Jesus' own day, he witnessed the way scripture, scriptures were used to underwrite exclusion, to underwrite hurt, and to exploit people. And in Jesus' own day, he saw the ways that scripture were used to instigate violence, revenge, and death, to carve up the world into castes, into hierarchies of human beings where some don't even get that distinction. Which is why Jesus reinterprets scripture with a radical and shocking love as his principle of interpretation. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard that it was said. Over and over and over again. You have heard that it was said. And here, in one of his teachings, quoting from Deuteronomy 19.21, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Scripture can be used to underwrite revenge and retaliation. And Jesus goes on to declare, but I tell you, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Love. The kind of love that grows from God's love for us does not retaliate or look for revenge. Jesus goes on in his teaching, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. Again, quoting from Leviticus 19, but sadly, the context of that scripture makes clear that the term neighbor only includes fellow Israelites. And while there's no command in scripture to hate your enemy, there are plenty of places in scripture where that much seems assumed. In the Psalms, we read that God hates all evildoers. And elsewhere in the Psalms and in Deuteronomy, it is implied that we should hate in like manner. That is, only love those who belong, hate and exclude all the others, especially 
the outsiders. Hate your enemies is an interpretation that has a foothold in scripture. And so Jesus speaks to that when he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus challenges his disciples to love in a way that always includes, and by including, transforms. Indeed, what we see in Jesus is a love that transforms scripture itself into vectors of greater inclusion, greater healing, greater love. The Bible is not a weapon to make us right. It is a gift to build up love. And as a gift to build up love, we don't need to defend the brutal, bewildering, and befuddling aspects of the Bible. The Bible is filled with the stories and experiences of people living in brutal, bewildering, and in a befuddling world, trying to make sense of who God is and what it means to live faithfully. Our job isn't to repeat their lives. It is to reveal what God's love looks like in our lives, having learned from their mistakes and their insights. The Bible is not an idol to be worshipped, but a gift to encounter God, to encounter who God is. And as 1 John tells us, God is love. Which is why the Bible is not meant as something to end conversation, but to begin it. A Bible story or Bible passage is not meant as some unquestionable final trump card to drop into a discussion to force some kind of agreement. The Bible is not meant to be proof texted, but it is meant to be read. It is meant to be known. It is meant to be struggled with, wrestled with, perplexed, and discomforted by. The Bible is not an idol to be worshipped, but neither is it to be ignored or neglected which is sadly the temptation of Christians of all theological and spiritual stripes, including us disciples. Jesus demonstrated a profound understanding and knowledge of Scripture. And in the passage we read today, we see a love for the teachings and the commands of Scripture, that is, for the stories of God, such that faithful people are exhorted to do what? To discuss the stories and teachings all the time, coming and going, rising up, lying down and to pass on the teachings and the stories to the next generation. And you can't discuss, you can't pass on what you don't know. One disciples theologian puts it this way about how disciples value and understand the role of Scripture. The Bible is not the only source of truth that Christians are to interpret, but it is the one source of truth that Christians must interpret. Yes, we bring our brains, leaning into the mind that God gave us and learning from the wisdom of others, including the natural and the human sciences. Yes, as disciples, we have the freedom from dogma and doctrine to really explore the meaning of our faith and of our scriptures in community with others. But all that does not eliminate the responsibility to do the hard and challenging spiritual work of opening up our book, reading the stories, listening to the teaching, Wondering and questioning, doubting and rediscovering, and risking an interpretation. For disciples, the Bible is not an idol, but it is central to who we are. Its stories are our stories. Its complexity, confusing qualities, and tragic moments are ours to wrestle with through love. The skills we learn in doing so are nothing short of the very skills we need to live life faithfully to trust in the power and purpose of God's love just as Jesus did. 
just as Jesus shows us the ways to engage with Scripture to build up love. The love of God and the love of neighbor. All our neighbors. The Bible doesn't have all the stories ever told. But disciples, it does have our stories. And thus is our invitation to encounter the God who loves us and then loves us again. And in so doing, inspires us to love and then love again. Thanks for listening to the message this week. Visit southelkorncc.org where you can download reflection and discussion guides to dig deeper into the weekly scripture and message.